0: I mean, we are an exhausted generation. You know what? We have uh, been tempted and baited into thinking that we can live life at an unsustainable pace. And uh, we just go, go, go. And uh, we get to the point where we are overwhelmed and tired and sometimes uh, just exhausted. And I don't think that's the way that God intended us to try to live our lives. Um, in fact, here, here's the good news. We, we try to live at this exhausting pace, but the good news is we can defeat this, and it is worth fighting against in our lives. And the answer to our living in this kind of exhausted, living at warp speed uh, lifestyle, the answer to that is something that God commanded, and it is something that we need. And I want to look at an example of this in a story today found in First Kings chapter 19. And so if you brought your Bibles, would you find your way to First Kings uh, chapter 19? It's in the Old Testament part of your Bible. First uh, and Second Kings, First uh, and Second Chronicles is just beyond that. And I want to look at chapter 19. And so I want you to open there and I want you to look at uh, these words with me. Let me give you the, the backdrop to this part of the story uh, so you can kind of see what's been happening prior to this. And then we'll jump in and look at what happens to Elijah here. The story that happens prior to this is really it's an epic story that we looked at last summer. It's the story of Elijah against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He challenges the prophets of Baal to prove that their God is a real God. And he says to them, I'll prove to you that the reality is my God is the true living God. And so the challenge that he sets up, he says to the prophets of Baal, you guys, all 450 of you, Come up here, you build an altar, put your sacrifice on it, and then you pray to your God and ask him to send down fire. And I'll do the same thing. I'll build an altar, put my sacrifice on it, and I'll cry out to my God. And whichever God sends a fire, we'll all agree that's the real God. And so this challenge takes place, and he says to the prophets of oh, you guys go first. And they build their altar, they place their sacrifice, and they begin to cry out to their God. And of course, nothing happens. And so he does a little trash talk, and he taunts them a little bit. Come on, guys, what's, what's the deal? Why isn't your God answering? Is he asleep? Is he out on a trip somewhere? You know, is he having lunch? Why doesn't he answer? And they scream louder and nothing happens. Finally, it's Elijah's turn. And so he builds his altar, puts the sacrifice on it. But just to demonstrate the power of his God, he has them pour bucket after bucket after bucket of water on his sacrifice and altar. And then he prays one very simple prayer. He says, God, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of everyone else, would you show who is the one true living God? And God sends down fire and it consumes the sacrifice and the altar and drinks up the water that's been poured there. It is an incredible sight. And then Elijah pulls out his sword and he slaughters the prophets of Baal. And it is a, a massive victory for Elijah in a sense. It is a victory victory. For the name of the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that we worship. And you would think that Elijah would absolutely be on a mountaintop, filled with energy and vibrance, but that's not exactly what happens. Listen to what happens immediately following all this. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, Ahab was the king of Israel, Jezebel was the queen. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. She basically says to Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Now you would think what we've just seen Elijah do on Mount Carmel, that he'd say, that's fine sister, come on. Take me on right here, right now, no problem. That's not what he does. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Ever been there? ever been to the point where you say, I have had enough. I, I can't take any more." That's where Elijah found himself. And Elijah found himself, just as we often do, in a place. A place of exhaustion and fatigue. A place where he could be a dangerous place. Because it's a place where we often feel some sense of disillusionment discouragement, maybe even depression. It is a place where we don't see the circumstances of life clearly. It is a place where the circumstances of life get bigger and bigger and bigger and God seems to get smaller and smaller. It is a place where our defenses are down. Elijah found himself in a, at a point of exhaustion and vulnerability and we often can find ourselves in the very same place. And what you would expect to happen next is not what happens. Because Elijah finding himself in that place, I think we assume that God is probably going to just give him a little pep talk, right? Come on, Elijah, get back in the game. You're okay. Elijah, remember what just happened on Mount Carmel? Come on, Elijah. Remember that fire I just sent down from heaven? Come on, Elijah. Remember how you just defeated all the prophets of Baal? Remember that I'm the God of the universe? Come on, Elijah. You're okay. Get back in the game. That's not at all what God does. In fact, what God does next could easily be overlooked. But it is very significant for Elijah. And it's very significant for us. Listen to what happens in verse 5. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, "Get up and eat." I don't know if this angel was from the food channel or what, but for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached far of the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and he spent the night or he went into the cave and he sleeps again. Elijah is exhausted from life. And do you see what the pattern is here? He sleeps. He eats. He sleeps. He eats some more. He gets some exercise and takes a really long walk. And then he sleeps again. It's not what you would expect, though. No. And yet, Elijah seems to do exactly what he needed to do. You know what was happening here? He was recharging. He was recharging mentally. He was recharging emotionally. He was recharging physically. And he was recharging spiritually. And you notice that God doesn't speak to him before this. Now, God's going to speak to him later. God's going to give him that pep talk later. But God doesn't speak to him before this because Elijah is so tired, he's not able to really listen to what God needs to say to him. And so God allows him to rest, to be replenished, to recover. And what we would look at and think, well, that just doesn't seem so significant. Obviously, God recognized the importance in his life and gave him that time to rest. Now, we think rest isn't a big deal, don't we? I mean, we we just don't think it's all that significant in our culture and in our lives. We very easily overlook its importance. Studies say that the average person needs eight hours of sleep a night. But all of us, the studies say, on average, get 6.9 hours of sleep per night. One hour a night doesn't seem like a big deal, but over a week's time, we're lacking seven hours of the sleep that our bodies were created to need. Here's some interesting statistics about uh, some sleep deprivation. The United States ranks among the top three most sleep-deprived nations in the world. This may not surprise you. New York is the most sleep-deprived city in the world. Most sleep-deprived Americans can't sleep because they're anxious about finances. A recent study by AAA found that two out of five U.S. drivers have unintentionally fallen asleep at the wheel. I wondered about that one. Does that mean some have intentionally fallen asleep? A 14-year study conducted by Penn State University found that men who slept less than six hours a night were four times more likely to die over the period of the study. Overall, short sleepers are 14% more likely to report symptoms of psychological distress compared with people who actually get adequate sleep. And even in the church. You know, we rarely talk about the value of rest, do we? In fact, our, our worship team was praying together this morning and somebody said we're going to talk about rest today and somebody else said, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about that at church. That's kind of sad, isn't I heard about a pastor who took a day off every week, and on that day off it was hard to reach him, but one of the members of his church got upset that they couldn't get a hold of him on his day off. And they later questioned the pastor about it and said, why couldn't I get a hold of you? And the pastor explained, it was my day off. I rest. I don't answer the phone. And they said to him, well, the devil never takes a day off. The pastor said, exactly. If I didn't take a day off, I'd be just like the devil. But here's what's ironic. God seems to highly value rest. Think back to the book of Genesis. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth, everything that we see in our universe. But what did He do on the seventh day? He he rested. Not because He needed it, but because He wanted to model for us the value of rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 9 says, You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. Even in the Ten Commandments, God said, I'm commanding you. You need periods of rest. In the book of Leviticus, you find a a thing called the Jubilee. It happened every seven years, and there were all kinds of things tied in with the Jubilee, but a part of the Jubilee was a resting of people and a resting of the ground. They didn't sow seed or plow the field that year so that the, the ground could restore its nutrients so that it could continue to produce healthy crops in the future. This principle of rest is taught and modeled throughout Scripture. God highly values rest and He highly values a rhythm of life. That includes rest. Phil Heibels is the pastor of a large church in Chicago called Willow Creek Community. I heard him speak at a conference some time ago, where he talked about a period of time in his ministry where he was ignoring the principle of rest. He was just going, 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 kind of living at that warp speed that we sometimes do. Here's, what, here's the realization he said he came to after living for that while, living that way for a while. He said this. The pace at which I was doing the work of God was killing the work of God in me. you hear that? The pace at which I was doing the work of God was killing the work of God in me i 'm telling you this morning I think this is a serious issue because if we try to live life at an unsustainable pace, then we end up starting to fall apart. life falls apart we fall apart. You know who seems to understand this whole issue better than we often do? Our kids. Marcus Buckingham did a survey of over a thousand students, grades three through 12, and he asked them, if you were granted one wish that would change the way your mother or father's work affected them, what would your wish be? Now, what's interesting is he also did a parallel study of a similar number of parents, and he asked them what they thought their kids would answer. Do you know what the overwhelming majority of the parents thought their kids would say? They thought their kids would say, we want more time with mom and dad. But they were wrong. The overwhelming majority of kids responded to that question. Their one wish was that their parents would be less tired and have less stress. See, I think we miss just how important this is in our lives. Not just to us, but to the people who are a part of our lives. Because we are living at a warp speed and oftentimes our lives are coming apart. And we are much better people when we are rested and rejuvenated and replenished. You know who got this right? Jesus did. And I know you're going to say, well, come on, Jeff. Jesus got everything right. Well, he did. You're right. But listen, he got this right and he modeled what was right for us. And Jesus, when he was here on the earth, he literally had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And when Jesus lived here on this earth, he was every much as human as we are. And He got every bit as worn out as we do. And so Jesus modeled in His life a pattern that is worth following in our lives. When Jesus was engaged in His work, He was fully engaged. He was was all out. But there were periods in His life after He was fully engaged in His work that He would pull back to rest, to pray, to reflect, to think about what was ahead. And then He would fully re-engage again. And He repeated this pattern for Himself and I think as an example for us over and over again in His life. In fact, I want to show you just one place where this is true. It's found in Matthew chapter 14. If you want to flip over in your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 14. And again, let me give you the backdrop here. Jesus has spent a long day of teaching and uh, this happens right after he has fed 5,000 men, which probably equates to the fact that there were some 10,000 people there. And he had miraculously created a bread and seafood buffet for all of these people. And they had everything they needed to, to fill their stomachs. And so after a long day of caring for people and serving for people and teaching people, which I can tell you is exhausting at times, Jesus gets to the, at the end of the day. And you know what we would do if we were in those same places? We would probably check that off and say, okay, that's completed, now what's the next thing? Let's get on to the next thing. That's not what Jesus does. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, immediately after this exhausting day, and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. There it is. There's the pattern. Jesus, after being fully engaged in His work that day, He pulls Himself apart to rest, to recover, to replenish, and to talk to God. Now, friends, if the Savior of the world needed rest, then what makes us think that we don't also need the same pattern in our lives where we are fully engaged in what we have to do and yet there are times that we pull back and we rest. Here's the bottom line. And I think this bottom line is exactly what Jesus so clearly modeled for us and I think this bottom line is inherent in the way that God created His world to function. Here's the bottom line. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. Your life moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. Now listen, if we are always living life at warped speed and trying to juggle everything that life keeps throwing at us and we never pull back to rest, we will end up in a bad place. We end up in a place where we break down emotionally. We break down physically. We end up in a place where God seems pretty small to us and we quit relying on God and we try to do it all ourselves. But the opposite is also true. Your life can move to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. So let me very quickly give you a few practical suggestions, things to think about so that this principle can be true in our lives and we can move at the sustainable pace that God designed us to move at. The first principle is this. We all need a weekly 24-hour Sabbath period. We all need a day every week where we pull back, we reflect, we replenish, we recover, we rest. Now, for a lot of you, that's probably Sunday. And uh, maybe you serve around here somewhere, but then you worship and you go home and you that's your rest of that day for you is that day of rest. Uh, for me, for our staff, uh, that's not Sunday. you know. And for some of our key people around here who are full, deeply, deeply engaged in what we're doing, yeah, it's not Sunday. You know, it's, a, it's a day of work for us. Hard work. So for me, it's Monday. And for some of our staff, it's Monday, and on Monday, for a lot of us, we we pull back. And uh, you know what? I, I don't check emails on Mondays, and I don't answer most phone calls on Mondays, and I don't check most text messages, and I don't look at Facebook because when I start reading about what you're doing on Facebook, sometimes I think, "Oh, oh boy, here we go, you know um, So I don't take Facebook. I, I don't look at those things because i I need to pull back, to rest, to reflect, to recover to replenish. Maybe uh, for you, uh, it it would be Saturday. You'd say, well, that's the day I'm going to set aside. Now, I know immediately some of you are going to say, but there's no way. I've got too much going on. And I would say to you that, you know what, there are some things maybe that need to be eliminated in your life or the lives of your children so that you can create some space in your life that you could actually pull back and live at a sustainable pace. And in a couple of weeks, Dan's going to talk about some things we can do in our lives to achieve that kind of balance. And I encourage you to, to be here those weeks and to hear what he has to say as he shares, because I think it will help you then begin to live out this principle. But we need to we need to pull back and and to find that. And you know what? Finding time to rest is not just a nice thing. It's something that God commanded us to do, and it is an inherent pattern all throughout Scripture. And we can think, well, I'm, you know, I'll just ignore it. I can live at this pace. No, it's part of the way that God created us. And if we ignore it, we end up in a place we don't want to end up. But when you move, your life will move to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. And again, I know, you might push back and say, I, I just don't have time. And I would push back to you and say, you don't have time not to do this. When you take time to rest, you end up being a better person, a person who will accomplish more, who will help people more, and who will honor God more if you'll take time to live out this principle. Now, you know what? Our our American self-esteem says, I don't have time to do this because our American self-esteem is based more on our overwork and our ability to get things done than it is on a relationship with Jesus Christ. So don't buy, don't let your self-esteem be built on how busy I am. You know, a company in, our, in America that's got this right is Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, you know, is closed every Sunday. Now, there's some Sundays I think, boy, you know, a Chick-fil-A sure sounds good. But I am so glad. And part of the reason that I am a frequent customer at Chick-fil-A is because they have built their business on these kinds of principles. And because they understand the rhythm of life as God created it, they determined they would be closed on Sundays so that their employees would have a day to rest and to worship. Could they make more money if they were open on Sundays? Maybe. But I'm absolutely convinced that Chick-fil-A has done as well as it has financially because they have honored the principles of God in their business here's a second suggestion we all need corporate worship weekly we need corporate worship weekly we need this time when we come together because this allows us in a way unlike almost anything else that we would do for our hearts to reconnect with god and the, the new testament is really clear that god calls us to come together as believers and that it's it's not a really an optional thing um, not because it's about church attendance, but it was about what God knew it would do for our hearts and how it reconnects us with Him and renews and replenishes us spiritually. And you know what it saddens me? Because I hear across America, and I'll just be really honest, it's true here at Crosspoint. I hear people say, and I see people living in their lives where they show up once a month or two out of six weeks, and they think, well, that's enough. You know, that's enough church for me. Well, that might be enough church attendance Maybe. But it's not enough coming together with God's people to reconnect God and to be replenished and restored and renewed spiritually. It's something we need on a regular basis. I'd say when you, I'd encourage you when you travel this summer, traveling and getting away is a great thing. But don't take a vacation from God. You know, as our family plans out our trips and we're going to go places, part of our planning is where we're going to be able to go to church. Not because we're legalistic about church attendance, but because we understand that we need that time to reconnect with God and for our souls, our spirits to be replenished. Here's another principle. This one's really practical. Get more sleep nightly. Get more sleep nightly. We are bad as Americans. We stay up too late. We don't get the necessary sleep. So go to bed earlier. Here's an encouragement to you. Before you go to bed, don't immediately before you go to bed check check Facebook or Twitter or your text messages. Because you know what? A lot of those times you're going to get messages that send your mind running in some direction that is not restful for you. So don't look at that stuff before you go to bed. Go to bed earlier and get the rest that you need. Honor the way that God created your body to function. Here's another totally side note, totally unrelated, but I read this in conjunction with this this week. In the mornings, let me encourage you, before you check Facebook or Twitter or text messages, why don't you check out the book of God, the Bible? That's totally free and unrelated. Sorry. One more thing. One more thing. You need a quarterly recharging. A quarterly recharging. Now, when I say this, I don't literally mean, oh, I need necessarily every quarter of the year to, to have a time like this, but here's, here's my point. in our lives it is inevitable that there are intense periods. I mean there are just runs in our lives where things are really hectic and busy that's unavoidable. but when you know that it's happening to you or you know it is going to happen to you, you need to set aside a day or two at the end of that run where you renew and restore yourself. If you look at your calendar and you say, you know what, these next three weeks, these next six weeks in my life, it's going to be an all-out dash because of stuff that's going on at work or with my kids. You need to, ahead of, after that, look at your calendar and say, but you know what, these two days afterwards, maybe it's a weekend if you don't have vacation time or you take some vacation time and you put those on your calendar and you say, at the end of that time, though, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to pull back and I'm going to rest. You know what, that's why we've instituted Yellow Flag Month around here, because we understand we've been on an intense run as a church. We've kind of missed it even for a while and realized, you know, it's time to pull back a little bit, because we need to rest. And so we've pulled back in July, not only condensed into one service, but we've pulled back on most of our programming. Not because we want you to disconnect with God, but because we understand this principle is vital to our lives. And so we want to pull back and say, let's rest a little Let's be renewed and restored. Let's recharge our minds. Let's renew ourselves physically. And let's refocus spiritually. Because you move to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. God commanded it. We need it. And I'd encourage you to fight for it in your life. Let's pray together. God, thank You for the principle of rest in our lives. God, it is woven so clearly into the fabric of how You created everything here on earth and how You created us as human beings. God, forgive me that there have been so many times in my life that I have just absolutely ignored this principle. And I have worked beyond when I should have. And I valued work and made it my self-esteem and my busyness my self-esteem instead of just my relationship with Jesus Christ. God, help us to carve out times to be very intentional about finding moments in our life to rest and to honor the way that you created us. And God, in those moments, renew our spirit and our walk with you. Make us passionate about following Jesus Christ. In your great name we pray this morning.